49. Hindu live in retirement. He died on the 24th of August 1856, and was buried in a spot which he had himself chosen, in Islet Churchyard. Buckland was a man many-sided in his abilities, and of a singularly wide range of attainments. Apart from his published works and memoirs in connection with the special department of geology, and in addition to the work entailed upon him by the positions which he at different times held in the Church of England, he entered with great enthusiasm into many practical questions connected with agricultural and sanitary science, and various social and even medical problems. As a teacher he possessed powers of the highest order, and the University of Oxford is enriched by the large and valuable private collections illustrative of geology and mineralogy, which he amassed in the course of his active life. It island however, upon his published scientific works that drive Buckland's great reputation is mainly based. His first great work was the well-known Reliquiae Diluviani, or observations on the organic remains contained in caves, fissures, and diluvial gravel attesting the action of a universal deluge, published in 1823 Second Education 1824 in which he supplemented his former observations on the remains of extinct animals discovered in the cavern of Kirkdale in Yorkshire, and expounded his views as to the bearing of these and similar cases on the biblical account of the deluge. Thirteen years after the publication of the reliquy, Dr. Buckland W. was called upon, in accordance with the will of the Earl of Bridgewater, to write one of the series of works known as the Bridgewater Treatises. The design of these treatises was to exhibit the power, wisdom, and goodness of God as manifested in the creation, and none of them was of greater value, as evinced by its vitality, than that on Geology and Mineralogy, originally published in 1836. It has gone through three editions, and though not a manual of geological science, it still possesses high value as a storehouse of geological and paleontological facts bearing upon the particular argument which it was designed to illustrate. The third edition, issued in 1858, was edited by his son Francis T. Buckland, and is accompanied by a memoir of the author and a list of his publications, of Drive Buckland's numerous original contributions to the sciences of geology and paleontology. The following may be mentioned, 1. On the structure of the Alps and adjoining parts of the continent, and their relation to the secondary and transition rocks of England, Annals of Phil, 1821, 2. Account of an assemblage of fossil teeth and bones of elephant, rhinoceros, hippopotamus, and C. Discovered in a cave at Kirkdale in Yorkshire in the year 1821, Phil. Trans. 3. On the quartz rock of the Lickey Hill in Worcestershire, trans. Jewel. Sock. 4. On the Megalosaurus or Great Fossil Lizard of Stonesfield, Ibid. 5. On the Psychodioidea. A family of plants found in the oolite quarries of the Isle of Portland, Ibid. 6. On the discovery of a new species of pterodactyl in the Liz of Lyme Regis, Ibid. 7. On the discovery of coprolites or fossil fossils in the layers of lime regis, and in other formations, Ibid. 8. On the evidences of glaciers in Scotland and the north of England, Proc. Jewel. Sock. Lond. 9. On the southwestern coal district of England, joint paper with the ref. W.D. Coney Bear. Trans. Jewel. Sock. Lond. 10. On the geology of the neighborhood of Weymouth and the adjacent parts of the coast of Dorset, joint paper with Sir H. Tolobich, Trans. Jewel. Sock. Lond. With regard to the glacial theory propounded by Agassiz, no one welcomed it with greater ardor than Buckland, and he zealously sought to trace out evidences of former glaciation in Britain, 
a record of the interesting discussion which took place at the Geological Society's meeting in London in November 1840. V.04P.0677 after the reading of a paper by Buckland, was printed in the Midland Naturalist, October 1883. Buckle, Henry Thomas 1821-1862. English historian, author of the history of civilization, the son of Thomas Henry Buckle a wealthy London merchant, was born at Lee, in Kent, on the 24th of November 1821. Owing to his delicate health he was only a very short time at school, and never at college, but the love of reading having been early awakened in him, he was allowed ample means of gratifying it. He gained his first distinctions not in literature but in chess, being reputed, before he was twenty, one of the first players in the world. After his father's death in January 1840 he spent some time with his mother on the continent 1840-1844. He had by that time formed the resolution to direct all his reading and to devote all his energies to the preparation of some great historical work. And during the next 17 years he bestowed 10 hours each day in working out his purpose. At first he contemplated a history of the Middle Ages, but by 1851 he had decided in favor of a history of civilization. The six years which followed were occupied in writing and rewriting, altering and revising the first volume, which appeared in June 1857. It at once made its offer a literary and even social celebrity, The Lion of a London Season. On the 1st of March 1858 he delivered at the Royal Institution a public lecture the only one he ever gave on the influence of women on the progress of knowledge, which was published in Fraser's Magazine for April 1858 and reprinted in the first volume of the miscellaneous and posthumous works. On the 1st of April 1859 a crushing and desolating affliction fell upon him in the death of his mother. It was under the immediate impression of his loss that he concluded a review he was writing of J.S. Mill's essay on liberty with an argument for immortality, based on the yearning of the affections to regain communion with the beloved dead, on the impossibility of standing up and living, if we believe the separation were final. The argument is a strange one to have been used by a man who had maintained so strongly that we had the testimony of all history to prove the extreme fallibility of consciousness. The review appeared in Fraser's Magazine, May 1859, and is to be found also in the miscellaneous and posthumous works 1872. The second volume of his history was published in May 1861, soon after he left England for the East, in order to recruit his spirits and restore his health. From the end of October 1861 to the beginning of March 1862 was spent by him in Egypt, from which he went over the desert of Sinai and of Egon to Syria, reaching Jerusalem on the 19th of April 1862. After staying there 11 days, he set out for Europe by Beirut, but at Nazareth he was attacked by fever, and he died at Damascus on the 29th of May 1862. Buckle's fame, which must rest wholly on his history of civilization in England is no longer what it was in the decade following his death. His history is a gigantic and finished introduction, of which the plan was, first to state the general principles of the author's method and the general laws which govern the course of human progress, and secondly, to exemplify these principles and laws through the histories of certain nations characterized by prominent and peculiar features, Spain and Scotland, the United States and Germany. Its chief ideas are one that, Lying partly to the want of ability in historians, and partly to the complexity of social phenomena, extremely little had as yet been done towards discovering the principles which govern the character and destiny of nations, or, in other words, towards establishing a science of history, 
to that, while the theological dogma of predestination is a barren hypothesis beyond the province of knowledge, and the metaphysical dogma of free will rests on an erroneous belief in the infallibility of consciousness, it is proved by science, and especially by statistics, that human actions are governed by laws as fixed and regular as those which rule in the physical world, three that climate, soil, food, and the aspects of nature are the primary causes of intellectual progress, the first three indirectly, through determining the accumulation and distribution of wealth, and the last by directly influencing the accumulation and distribution of thought, the imagination being stimulated and the understanding subdued when the phenomena of the external world are sublime and terrible, the understanding being emboldened and the imagination curbed when they are small and feeble, for that the great division between European and non-European civilization turns on the fact that in Europe man is stronger than nature, and that elsewhere nature is stronger than man, the consequence of which is that in Europe alone has man subdued nature to his service, 5 that the advance of European civilization is characterized by a continually diminishing influence of physical laws, and a continually increasing influence of mental laws, 6 that the mental laws which regulate the progress of society cannot be discovered by the metaphysical method, that island by the introspective study of the individual mind, but only by such a comprehensive survey of facts as will enable us to eliminate disturbances, that island by the method of averages, 7 that human progress has been due, not to moral agencies, which are stationary, and which balance one another in such a manner that their influence is unfelt over any long period but to intellectual activity, which has been constantly varying and advancing, the actions of individuals are greatly affected by their moral feelings and passions, but these being antagonistic to the passions and feelings of other individuals, are balanced by them, so that their effect island in the great average of human affairs, nowhere to be seen, and the total actions of mankind, considered as a whole, are left to be regulated by the total knowledge of which mankind is possessed, eight that individual efforts are insignificant in the great mass of human affairs, and that great men, although they exist, and must, at present, be looked upon as disturbing forces, are merely the creatures of the age to which they belong, nine that religion, literature and government are, at the best, the products and not the causes of civilization, ten that the progress of civilization varies directly as, skepticism the disposition to doubt and to investigate, and inversely as, credulity, or, the protective spirit, a disposition to maintain, without examination, established beliefs and practices, unfortunately Buckle either could not define, or cared not to define, the general conceptions with which he worked, such as those denoted by the terms, civilization, history, science, law, skepticism, and, protective spirit, the consequence is that his arguments are often fallacies. Moreover, the looseness of his statements and the rashness of his inferences regarding statistical averages make him, as a great authority has remarked, the infant terrible of moral statisticians. He brought a vast amount of information from the most varied and distant sources to confirm his opinions, and the abundance of his materials never perplexed or burdened him in his argumentation but examples of well-conducted historical argument are rare in his pages. He sometimes altered and contorted the facts, he very often unduly simplified his problems, he was very apt when he had proved a favorite opinion true to infer it to be the whole truth. On the other hand, many of his ideas have passed into the common literary stock, and have been more precisely elaborated by later writers on sociology and history, and though his own work is now somewhat neglected, 
its influence was immensely valuable in provoking further research and speculation. See his life by A.W. Hoof 1880, B.U.C. Simon Bolivar 1823, American soldier and political leader, was born in Hart County, Kentucky, on the 1st of April 1823. He graduated at West Point in 1844, and was assistant professor of geography, history and ethics there in 1845-1846. He fought in several battles of the Mexican War. Received the brevet of first lieutenant for gallantry at Churubusco, where he was wounded, and later, after the storming of Chapultepec, received the brevet of captain. In 1848-1850 he was assistant instructor of infantry tactics at West Point. During the succeeding five years he was in the recruiting service, on frontier duty, and finally in the subsistence department. He resigned from the army in March 1855. During the futile attempt of Governor Barry Magoffin to maintain Kentucky in a position of neutrality, he was commander of the state V.04P.0678 Guard, but in September 1861, after the entry of Union forces into the state, he openly espoused the Confederate cause and was commissioned Brigadier General, later becoming Lieutenant General. He was third in command of Fort Nelson at the time of General Grant's attack February 1862, and it fell to him after the escape of Generals Floyd and Pillow, to surrender the post with its large garrison and valuable supplies. General Boatner was exchanged in August of the same year, and subsequently served under General Bragg in the invasion of Kentucky and the campaign of Chickamauga. He was governor of Kentucky in 1887-1891, was a member of the Kentucky Constitutional Convention of 1890, and in 1896 was the candidate of the National or Gold Democrats for Vice President of the United States. Buckram a word common, in various early forms, to many European languages, as in the Ifar, Boqueer and Oriel, Bukarame, the derivation of which is unknown, in early usage the name of a fine linen or cotton cloth, but now only of a coarse fabric of linen or cotton stiffened with glue or other substances, used for linings of clothes and in book binding. Falstaff's, Men in Buckram, Shakespeare, Henry Ivy, Point III, for has become a proverbial phrase for any imaginary persons, B.U.C.K. Estiolani, John Baldwin 1802-1879, English actor and dramatic writer, was born at Hoxton on the 14th of September 1802, he was articled to a solicitor, but soon exchanged the law for the stage, after some years as a provincial actor he made his first London appearance. On the 30th of January 1823, at the Surrey Theatre, as Ramsay in the fortunes of Nigel, his success led to his engagement in 1827 at the Adelphi, where he remained as leading low comedian until 1833, at the Haymarket, which he joined for summer seasons in 1833, and of which he was lassie from 1853 to 1878. He appeared as Bobby Trot in his own loop The Laborer, and here were produced a number of his plays and farces, Ellen Wareham, Uncle Tom and others. After his return from a visit to the United States in 1840 he played at several London theatres, among them the Lyceum, where he was box at the first representation of Box and Cox. As manager of the Haymarket he surrounded himself with an admirable company, including Southern and the Campbells. He produced the plays of Gilbert, Planche, Tom Taylor and Robertson, as well as his own and in most of these he acted. He died on the 31st of October 1879. He was the author of 150 plays, some of which had been very popular. His daughter, 
Lucy Isabella Buckstone 1858-1893, was an actress, who made her first London appearance at the Haymarket Theatre as Ada Ingot in David Derrick in 1875. Buckthorn, known botanically as Ramnus Cathartica Natural Order Ramnaceae, a much-branched shrub reaching 10 feet in height, with a blackish bark, spinous branchlets, and ovate, sharply serrated leaves, 1 to 2 inches long, arranged several together at the ends of the shoots. The small green flowers are regular and have the parts in force. Male and female flowers are born on different plants. The fruit is succulent, black and globose, and contains four stones. The plant is a native of England, occurring in woods and thickets chiefly on the chalk. It is rare in Ireland and not wild in Scotland. It is native in Europe, North Africa and North Asia, and naturalized in some parts of eastern North America. The fruit has strong purgative properties, and the bark yields a yellow dye. An allied species, Ramnus frangula, is also common in England, and is known as berry-bearing or black alder. It is distinguished from buckthorn by the absence of spiny branchlets, its non-serrated leaves, and bisexual flowers with parts in fives. The fruits are purgative and yield a green dye when unripe. The soft porous wood, called black dogwood, is used for gunpowder. Dyes are obtained from fruits and bark of other species of Ramnus, such as our infectoria. Artinctoria and Ardivorica the two latter yielding the China green of commerce. Several varieties of Aurelaternus, a Mediterranean species, are grown in shrubberies. See Buckthornus hypophy rhamnoids, a willow-like shrub, 1 to 8 feet in height, with narrow leaves silvery on the underside, and globose orange-yellow fruits one-third of an inch in diameter. It occurs on sandy seashores from York to Cub and Sussex, but is not common. American buckthorns are, Ramnus persiana or Cascara sagrada, of the Pacific coast, producing Cascara bark, and Arcaroliniana. The alder buckthorn, Mumelia lichioides or Lanuginosa is popularly called, Southern buckthorn, buckwheat, the fruit so-called seeds of Phagopyramisculentum natural order Polygonaceae, a herbaceous plant, native of Central Asia, but cultivated in Europe and North America, also extensively cultivated in the Himalaya as well as an allied species Aftotericum. The fruit has a dark brown tough rind enclosing the kernel or seed, and is three-sided in form, with sharp angles, similar in shape to beech mast. Whence the name from the jer, buquizen, beech wheat. Buckwheat is grown in Great Britain only to supply food for pheasants and to feed poultry, which devour the seeds with avidity. In the northern countries of Europe, however, the seeds are employed as human food, chiefly in the form of cakes which when baked thin have an agreeable taste, with a darkish somewhat violet color. The meal of buckwheat is also baked into crumpets, as a favorite dainty among Dutch children, and in the Russian army buckwheat groats are served out as part of the soldiers' rations, which they cook with butter, tallow or hemp seed oil. Buckwheat is also used as food in the United States, where buckwheat cakes are a national dish, and by the Hindus it is eaten on bart or fast days, being one of the fellahas or lawful foods for such occasions. When it is used as food for cattle the hard sharp angular rind must first be removed, as compared with the principal cereal grains. Buckwheat is poor in nitrogenous substances and fat, but the rapidity and ease with which it can be grown render it a fit crop for very poor, badly tilled land. An immense quantity of buckwheat honey is collected in Russia, beef showing a marked preference for the flowers of the plant. The plant is also used as a green fodder. In the United States buckwheat is sown at the end of June or beginning of July, 
the amount of seed varying from 3 to 5 pecks to the acre. The crop matures rapidly and continues blooming till frost set in so that at harvest, which is usually set to occur just before this period, the grain is in various stages of ripeness. It is cut by hand or with the self-delivery reaper, and allowed to lie in the swath for a few days and then set up in shops. The stalks are not tied into bundles as in the case of other grain crops, the tops of the shops being bound round and held together by twisting stems round them. The threshing is done on the field in most cases. Bucolics from the GR, Greek, Bucolicos, pertaining to a herdsman, a term occasionally used for rural or pastoral poetry. The expression has been traced back in English to the beginning of the 14th century, being used to describe the eclogues of Virgil. The most celebrated collection of bucolics in antiquity is that of Theocritus, of which about 30, in the Doric dialect, and mainly written in hexameter verse, have been preserved. This was the name, as is believed, originally given by Virgil to his pastoral poems, with the direct object of challenging comparison with the writings of Theocritus. In modern times the term, bucolics, has not often been specifically given by the poets to their pastorals, the main exception being that of Ronsard, who collected his eclogues under the title of, Els Bucolics. In general practice the word is almost a synonym for pastoral poetry, but has come to bear a slightly more agricultural than shepherd signification, so that the, Georgics, of Virgil has grown to seem almost more, bucolic, than his, eclogues. See also pastoral, e.g. bucyrus a city and the county seat of Crawford County, Ohio, USA on the Sandusky River, 62 meters in of Columbus, Pop, 1890-59-74, for inborn, 1910-81-22. It is served by the Pennsylvania, the Toledo, Wyoming Valley and Ohio-Pennsylvania system, and the Ohio Central Railways, and by interurban electric lines, the Ohio Central of which Bucyrus is a division terminal, has shops here. The city lies at an elevation of about 1,000 feet above sea level, and is surrounded V.04P.0679 by a country well adapted to agriculture and stock raising. Among its manufactures are machinery, structural steel, ventilating and heating apparatus, furniture, interior woodwork, plows, wagons, carriages, copper products and clay working machines. Bucyrus was first settled in 1817, it was laid out as a town in 1822, was incorporated as a village in 1830, and became a city in 1885. The county seat was permanently established here in 1830. Budapest, the capital and largest town of the Kingdom of Hungary, and the second town of the Austro-Hungarian monarchy, 163 meters assay of Vienna by rail. Budapest is situated on both banks of the Danube and is formed of the former towns of Budiger, Ofen together with Obudiger, Aldofen on the right bank, and of Pest together with Kobanyager, Steinbruch on the left bank, which were all incorporated into one municipality in 1872. It lies at a point where the Danube has definitely taken its southward course, and just where the outlying spurs of the outer ramifications of the Alps, namely, the Bacani Mountains, meet the Carpathians. Budapest is situated nearly in the center of Hungary, and dominates by its strategical position the approach from the west to the great Hungarian plain. The imposing size of the Danube, 300 to 650 yards broad, and the sharp contrast of the two banks, place Budapest among the most finely situated of the larger towns of Europe. On the one side is a flat sandy plain, in which lies Pest, 
modern of aspect regularly laid out, and presenting a long frontage of handsome buildings to the river. On the other the ancient town of Buddha straggles capriciously over a series of small and steep hills, commanded by the fortress and the Bloxburg 770 feet high, 390 feet above the Danube, and backed beyond by spurs of mountains, which rise in the form of terraces one above the other. The hills are generally devoid of forests, while those near the towns were formerly covered with vineyards, which produced a good red wine. The vineyards have been almost completely destroyed by the phylloxera. Budapest covers an area of 78 square meters and is divided into 10 municipal districts, namely Varfestang, Visivaros Wasserstadt, Obuda Aldofen, all on the right bank, belonging to Buda, and Belvaros Inner City, Lipokveros Lepoldstadt, Terizveros Terizianstadt, Urbetveros Elizabethstadt, Josephveros Josephstadt, Fierenshveros Franstadt, and Kobenya Steinbruch, all on the left bank, belonging to Pest, Buda with its royal palace, the various ministries, and other government offices, is the official center, while Pest is the commercial and industrial part, as well as the center of the nationalistic and intellectual life of the town. The two banks of the Danube are united by six bridges, including two fine suspension bridges, the first of them, generally known as the Pettenbruck, constructed by the brothers Tierney and Adam Clark in 1840-1849, is one of the largest in Europe. It is 410 yards long, 39 feet broad, 36 feet high above the mean level of the water, and its chains rest on two pillars 160 feet high, its ends are ornamented with four colossal stone lions, at one end is a tunnel, 383 yards long, constructed by Adam Clark in 1854, which pierces the castle hill and connects the quarter known as the Kristinenstadt with the Danube, the other suspension bridge is the Schwerklotz Bridge completed in 1903, 56 feet broad, with a span of 317 yards. The other bridges are the Margaret Bridge, with a junction bridge towards the Margaret Island, the French Joseph Bridge, and two railway bridges. Perhaps the most attractive part of Budapest is the line of broad keys on the left bank of the Danube, which extend for a distance of 21 2 meters from the Margaret Bridge to the Custom House, and are lined with imposing buildings. The most important of these is the French Joseph Quay one meter long, which contains the most fashionable cafes and hotels, and is the favorite promenade. The inner town is surrounded by the inner Ringstrasse, a circle of wide boulevards on the site of the old wall, wide tree-shaded streets, like the Kiraliadze, the Kurapisiut, and the Weloiut, also form the lines of demarcation between the different districts. The inner ring is connected by the Vazikorugwaitzner ring with the Grosse Ringstrasse. A succession of boulevards, describing a semicircle beginning at the Margaret Bridge and ending at the Boros Platz, near the Custom House Key, through about the middle of the town. One of the most beautiful streets in the town is the Andrasi UT, 11 2 meters long, connecting Vaziko route with Boros Legitstatwilpshin, the favorite public park of Budapest. It is a busy thoroughfare, lined in its first half with magnificent new buildings, and in its second half where it attains a width of 150 feet with handsome villas standing in their own gardens, which give the impression rather of a fashionable summer resort than the center of a great city. Budapest possesses numerous squares, generally ornamented with monuments of prominent Hungarians, usually the work of Hungarian artists. Buildings, though of ancient origin, neither Buda nor Pest has much to show in the way of venerable buildings. The oldest church is the Matthias Church in Buda, begun by King Belaidi in the 13th century, 
completed in the 15th century, and restored in 1890-1896. It was used as a mosque during the Turkish occupation, and here took place the coronation of Franz Joseph as King of Hungary in 1867. The Garrison Church, a Gothic building of the 13th century, and the Reformed Church, finished in 1898, are the other ecclesiastical buildings in Buddha worth mentioning. The oldest church in Pest is the parish church situated in the Platz in the inner town, it was built in 1500, in the Gothic style, and restored in 1890. The most magnificent church in Pest is the Leopoldstadt Basilica, a Romanesque building with a dome 315 feet in height. Begun in 1851, next comes the Franstadt Church, also a Romanesque building, erected in 1874. Besides several modern churches, Budapest possesses a beautiful synagogue, in the Moorish style, erected in 1861, and another, in the Moorish Byzantine style, built in 1872, while in 1901 the construction of a much larger synagogue was begun, in Buda, near the Kaiserbad, and not far from the Margrit Bridge, is a small octagonal Turkish mosque, with a dome 25 feet high, beneath which is the grave of a Turkish monk. By a special article in the Treaty of Karlowitz of 1699 the Emperor of Austria undertook to preserve this monument. Among the secular buildings the first place is taken by the Royal Palace in Buda, which, together with the old fortress, crowns the summit of a hill, and forms the nucleus of the town. The palace erected by Maria Theresa in 1748-1771 was partly burned in 1849, but has been restored and largely extended since 1894. In the court chapel are preserved the regalia of Hungary, namely, the crown of St. Stephen, the scepter, orb, sword and the coronation robes. It is surrounded by a magnificent garden, which descends in steep terraces to the Danube, and which offers a splendid view of the town lying on the opposite bank. New and palatial buildings of the various ministries, several high and middle schools, a few big hospitals, and the residences of several Hungarian magnates are among the principal edifices in this part of the town. The long range of substantial buildings fronting the left bank of the Danube includes the Houses of Parliament see architecture. Plate IX, figure 115, a huge limestone edifice in the late Gothic style, covering an area of 33-4 acres, erected in 1883-1902, the Academy, in Renaissance style, erected in 1860-1864, containing a lofty reception room a library, a historic picture gallery, and a botanic collection, the Redoute buildings, a large structure in a mixed Romanesque and Moorish style, erected for balls and other social purposes, the extensive custom house at the lower end of the quays, and several fine hotels and insurance offices, in the beautiful Andrassi UTR the Opera House 1875-1884, in the Italian Renaissance style, the Academy of Music, the old and new exhibition building, the National Drawing School, and the Museum of Fine Arts 1900-1905, in which was installed in 1905 the National Gallery, formed by Prince Estriazzi, bought by the government in 1865 for L130.000, and formerly housed in the Academy, and the collection of modern pictures from the National Museum. At the end of the street is one of the numerous monuments erected in various parts of the country to commemorate the thousandth anniversary of the foundation of the Kingdom of Hungary. Other buildings remarkable for their V.04P.0680 size and interest are, the National Museum 1836-1844, the Town Hall 1869-1875, 
in the early Renaissance style, the university, with a Baroque facade rebuilt 1900, and the university library opened in 1875, a handsome Renaissance building, the Palace of Justice 1896, a magnificent edifice situated not far from the Houses of Parliament, in its neighborhood also are the palatial buildings of the Ministries of Justice and of Agriculture. There are also the Exchange 1905, the Austro-Hungarian Bank 1904, the Central Post and Telegraph Office, the Art Industrial Museum 1893-1897, in Oriental style, with some characteristically Hungarian ornamentations, several handsome theaters, large barracks, technical and secondary schools, two great railway termini and a central market 1897 to be mentioned. To the southeast of the town lies the vast slaughterhouse 1870-1872, which, with the adjacent cattle market, covers nearly 30 acres of ground. The building activity of Budapest since 1867 has been extraordinary, and the town has undergone a thorough transformation, the removal of slums and the regulation of the older parts of the town, in connection with the construction of the two new bridges across the Danube end of the railway termini went hand in hand with the extension of the town, and, 